Welcome to episode 99 of the Fertility Podcast. I must apologise, um, I didn't publish this yesterday. I'm a day late due to a slight technical hitch, but not to worry because I've got a brilliant episode ahead. I'm Natalie Silverman, your host, and welcome if you've just discovered the Fertility Podcast because this is all about giving you more information if you're trying to work out what on earth is going on whilst trying to get pregnant. Maybe you've already started fertility treatment. You might have had failed cycles. Wherever you're at, this is hopefully a useful resource for you. I've been through treatment and have been speaking to all sorts of people for the last nearly three years now, whether they're experts or people just sharing their stories, to give you hopefully a place you can revisit and find out lots more and hopefully give you more questions to ask. Now, this episode is uh, focusing on a condition which I've never heard of, and I hope if it applies to you, you can walk away with a little skip in your step that you've got a little bit more info in your uh, in your toolkit to go and present to your specialist because ultimately we're all constantly learning all the time about what it might be that one thing that nobody yet has quite sussed out is what is preventing us from starting our families so I hope you find this interesting. So I'm now going to welcome Dr. Vamsi Thalori, who is a fertility specialist in Australia to the podcast. Dr. Vamsi, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure. And we've been having a chat after kind of getting in touch on Twitter. And I was really interested to talk further with you because you have a special interest in a condition that I've not heard about. So I'm assuming that a number of my listeners won't have heard about, which is called adenomyosis. Have I said it right? That's perfect. Correct. Yeah, adenomyosis. Now, am I right in saying that you You've published a paper, you were the first person to publish a paper on this about five years ago. Yeah, correct. Me and my, my colleague, Professor Kelton Tremellen, um, published the first uh, paper back in, in 2012, which showed the impact of this particular condition on women going through IVF. And we, we looked at the, the pregnancy rates um, in people that had this particular condition and those that did not have this particular condition to try and determine, does adenomyosis actually affect um, IVF outcomes, um, and we found um, quite alarmingly that it had a had a significant detrimental effect on pregnancy rates in those that did have this particular condition. Our study looked at over 200 women going through IVF, and we found about one in five women um, in our clinic at that time had this particular condition, and we found that the pregnancy rates in those that did have adenomyosis uh, was about half. Um, compared to those that did not have the condition. So we're not talking about a small decrease in pregnancy outcomes. It's a significant increase, uh, decrease, sorry. Um, And again, this was published in Human Reproduction. And um, since then, there have been lots of studies that have confirmed our findings and and several uh, meta-analyses, which are very large studies that compile all the research in a particular area and try and come up with a conclusion. And there was one meta-analyses that was published in a very large journal um, this month, hot off the press in Fertility and Sterility, one of the the premier uh, fertility journals in the world. And again, this meta-analysis confirmed our findings that indeed adenomyosis significantly affects uh, pregnancy outcomes, uh, both in terms of chances of falling pregnant with IVF, but also in the the risk of miscarriage, um, even when one does fall pregnant following IVF treatment. So it was certainly not a a small finding. I know that you're a fertility specialist, so the research that you've done is relating to the impacts on successful pregnancy through fertility treatment. But am I right in saying that this is a condition that even if you're trying 
you know, you're at a stage where you've not gone down the fertility treatment route, but you're trying and failing to get pregnant, this still could be a condition that's affecting your your success. Yeah, it's an excellent question. And the truth is, we don't yet fully know a lot of the treatment, uh, excuse me, a lot of the studies that have been done are in the context of IVF treatment. Obviously, with IVF, it's a much more controlled process. Obviously, people at that time are, are seeing a, a typically are seeing a specialist. So we, it's much easier to perform studies in this cohort of patients when Whereas when people are trying for, for natural conception, they're typically not under the under the care of a particular specialist, so it's a little bit harder to do studies in that context. But if we are to extrapolate um, perhaps why adenomyosis can cause issues uh, with uh, falling pregnant in IVF, we know that it's it's essentially the sister condition of endometriosis, which I'm sure you and many of your listeners have heard of. Yeah. And we know endometriosis has an effect on IVF outcomes as well as natural conception. So it stands to reason that adenomyosis probably does as well. Um, interestingly, adenomyosis has typically always been thought of um, as a condition that affects much older women, but not related to fertility at all, but typically a condition that uh, results in very painful um, and perhaps very heavy periods, typically in a woman's 40s. So it really has never really been associated with infertility up until the last five or so years. Now, it's interesting you mentioned endometriosis because in the bit of research that I had done on the condition, it seemed to present symptoms similar to endometriosis, though I imagine quite hard to diagnose. Yeah, you're exactly right. If we if we define as endometriosis as when uh, a woman's lining, known as the endometrium, implants outside of the uterus, typically in a woman's pelvis, whereas adenomyosis is when the same lining, the endometrium, or endometrial tissue implants in the muscle or the wall of the of the uterus. So you're exactly right that typically, and perhaps one of the reasons why this particular condition has, um, it's almost like the ugly sister of endometriosis, is that it's not very easy to diagnose. Whereas endometriosis, the gold standard for diagnosis has always been a laparoscopy, which is an operation whereby um, a little camera is put through the, the woman's uh, belly button and you can see the endometriosis typically in the pelvis and you can cut it out and you can send it to the uh, the pathology lab and they'll send your report back saying endometriosis confirmed. Whereas with adenomyosis, you can't typically see it like you can at, uh, at laparoscopy like you can with endometriosis. There are some signs that you can look for, and certainly those that are looking for it will notice um, perhaps a very large uterus that can be quite boggy when you touch it at this particular operation. But again, most people um, tend not to look for this particular condition. So traditionally, the, the condition has, has very rarely been looked for up until very recently when high quality imaging has been available. And thanks to extremely high quality ultrasound and, and certainly with MRI scans, we are now able to, to, to diagnose adenomyosis with pretty, pretty good accuracy um, compared to what we were able to do previously. Previously, it's always been a diagnosis that when a woman in her mid to late 40s presented with painful or perhaps um, heavy uh, periods, they would undergo a hysterectomy. And the, again, the lab would tell us after we've sent the uterus to the lab that this uterus has adenomyosis in it. Obviously, with women going through fertility treatment, doing a hysterectomy is not something sure. that we're able to do. So it's great to be able to now, um, with good accuracy, pick up this condition on scans. So as far as the numbers of women it's affecting, because you, you've talked about it as the ugly sister of endometriosis. I know from the conversations I've had with people about endometriosis, they've spent years being diagnosed. This mm. seems tricky to diagnose. What kind of numbers of, of women are we talking that this is affecting? 
it's reasonably consistent in the literature in that certainly women that are going through fertility treatment, the numbers certainly at our clinic have, have shown about one in five women are shown to have this particular condition. So, I mean, that's not to say that they all are having the classic symptoms of adenomyosis or that they're all having difficulty falling pregnant with IVF, but certainly in terms of the, the ultrasound and MRI diagnostic criteria for the condition, uh, about one in five women that wow. we see uh, certainly fit this, um, and, a, and a large number of them will have some of those issues that I just mentioned. So for people listening, if they're thinking, oh my goodness, another thing I need to know about, you know, what if this <laughs> is my problem? How do we treat it and, and, and how recognised do you feel it is around the, around the world? I mean, is it quite prominent when women are, you know, trying to get to the bottom of, of their, mm. why they can't conceive? Yeah, in my experience, it's still, it's still a reasonably forgotten condition. And um, something that I, I would suggest is um, for those that are undergoing IVF, and we've, we've gotten to a, a pretty good stage where we're able to now determine which are the best embryos to transfer an IVF. Obviously, with genetic testing, um, we're able to ensure that with very, very good accuracy that we're transferring a, a, a euploid or a genetically normal embryo. So the, the old issue of are we transferring the best embryos, we, we've almost solved that issue now. The next frontier, I think, with, with IVF success rates is going to be implantation. And there are the, the traditional causes of implantation failure, but... I think over the last five years, we've identified a new cause of implantation failure, and that is adenomyosis. But still, I feel um, lots of um, fertility specialists are, are still not looking for this condition. So I would suggest if you've had uh, two or perhaps three embryos um, transferred without success in, in your IVF treatment and um, you still haven't fallen pregnant or you've had a, um, one or two miscarriages perhaps, um, it might be worthwhile just asking your specialist whether looking for endo, uh, excuse me looking for adenomyosis is is something that they would consider again in the hands of a, a good quality um, ultrasonographer and a, a radiologist that knows what they're they're looking for adenomyosis can be picked up about eighty five percent of the time with an ultrasound and about ninety to ninety five percent of the time with an MRI so um, it, it's a, it's not a whole lot of additional expense certainly to to have this particular test done and I guess when we do, or if we do pick it up, your next question obviously is, what can we do about it? It's all well sure. and good to identify or diagnose the condition, but ultimately, that's not our goal. It's to obviously achieve a pregnancy and a, and a healthy baby. And um, the the literature with regards to this is still evolving. So I can't sit here and say that there have been very large, um, high quality evidence studies that have come up with an answer about how best to treat adenomyosis. I can talk to you about what a lot of the people are doing, but Certainly, this is not um, um, evidence-based, at least not strong evidence. And what most people are doing is um, an ultra-long down-regulation cycle, just like we do with endometriosis. So the idea is uh, before treatment would be to switch off. Um, you can think of uh, the GnRH hormone that your hypothalamus in the brain produces. And the idea is to essentially switch off um, the, this hormone. So um, your ovaries are almost put to sleep and... The idea is to put the put the woman into a, a temporary state of menopause, so her estrogen levels go down, and and we think that perhaps um, that might deactivate um, or reduce some of the inflammatory markers that are produced by these adenomyosis tissues, um, reduce the number of natural killer cells or white blood cells in the endometrium, um, 
and reduce the impact of various implantation factors or genes that are normally expressed during the endometrial receptivity window. And perhaps it means that the embryo has a better chance of, of implanting. So that's typically what we do. Now, in terms of how long to have this down regulation for, that may depend on, on how severe your adenomyosis is. So it could vary from anywhere between 6 to 12 weeks. So it's, it's certainly not um, a process or a, a treatment protocol that we take lightly, simply because of the, the much longer time period it takes to go through this particular IVF cycle and, um, and also some of the symptoms that um, a woman may experience uh, during um, this type of protocol. So things like um, some headaches or hot flushes or perhaps a, a little bit of mood instability, these things are all um, relatively common with an ultra-long down-regulation cycle. But I've certainly had some very good results um, with patients that have been at other clinics with this particular condition um, or hasn't been actually even picked up and had um, five years or, or sometimes longer without success. And we've done an MRI, identified adenomyosis. Um, they've gone on an ultra-long down-regulation IVF protocol and on their second cycle, fallen pregnant. So... Um, is that a fluke? I, I couldn't exclude that, but I'd like to think that it's perhaps um, this nasty condition that we've perhaps treated prior to um, transferring an embryo. Wow, fascinating. So 12 weeks, obviously, a, a really long commitment. And like you say, not something yeah. taken lightly. Um, and would I be right in saying that with this kind of protocol, if we've diagnosed this condition, that then mm -hmm. it, it, it could be that an endometrial scratch is worthwhile in this scenario. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the research looking at an endometrial scratch at the moment is really in that recurrent implantation failure um, cohort of, of women. So uh, women that have had two or certainly three embryos transferred um, and particularly if they're good quality embryos or genetically screened embryos, so we know the embryo um, is, is most likely to be normal, um, I would certainly recommend an endometrial scratch and they can still have that done um, with this particular treatment protocol as well. I mean, I know you've said the evidence is still kind of being gathered and it's the same with the endo scratch. And, and yeah. one thing to state now, and I'm sure you'll agree, um, for anybody listening who's thinking... Oh, okay. This sounds like something that could be relevant to me, but there isn't the evidence. This is the world of fertility, isn't it? With fertility medicine constantly evolving. And I suppose when you're in a place where you've had failed cycles and maybe this has been diagnosed, it's a case of why not? And and I know we're playing yeah. with people's we're playing with people's lives ultimately, but mm. it's still such an unknown, isn't it? And it's constantly evolving so that true. that's the kind of mindset you, you, you need to apply when you're trying to get your head around something like this. Would you say that's fair? I think that's completely fair. I mean, as I said um, at the start of this, this discussion, we published this paper in 2012, five years. Now, five years in this field is, is almost like an eternity. Um, but even still, even still, it's not mainstream to, to screen for this particular condition. It's not mainstream to, to, to look for it when um, when someone going through IVF has is, is had embryo transfer after embryo transfer and things still are not working. Um, and one of the reasons I was obviously keen to, to talk about this was to get the word out there that, you know what, adenomyosis is extremely common. Um, it's the sister condition to endometriosis, which we all know a lot about and we do treat them. It's a very well-known cause of infertility. Um, and perhaps there is a treatment out there. And um, as you said, yes, there aren't yet extremely good quality studies showing that a, 
this particular treatment protocol necessarily um, improves outcomes. There is, a, by the way, there is a little bit of evidence that does suggest that it does improve outcomes, and my anecdotal um, evidence certainly suggests that it does. But as you, I, I, as you rightly pointed out, um, I think it's a little bit unfair to to keep doing the same thing. I think we do sometimes have to think a little bit outside the box, and there's got to be biological plausibility, of course, and we have to ensure that we're not subjecting our patients to something that is not safe. Um, and we have to be transparent in saying, look, this is perhaps um, experimental and it's not necessarily a panacea, but I think we do have to sometimes not be a, a slave to evidence-based medicine and to think a little bit outside the square and, and perhaps try something that we, that we think uh, might be uh, uh, something that works. Again, as long as we're transparent with the, the, the people that we're looking after and where we tell them this, I'm very comfortable offering these sorts of treatments. And do you know whether the treatments are the same in the UK, for example, to Australia? They, they should be, yeah. yeah. So, okay. I mean, the drugs that we use are the same and, and certainly this particular type of treatment protocol, it, it's something that I, I'm sure that your fertility specialist there would already be doing with endometriosis. Yeah. So this is not an off-label or an unusual drug or, or a treatment protocol that they would not be familiar with. It's just applying the same protocol that they already would use with a different condition um, to the same con uh, to adenomyosis. So uh, um, again, it's not something that um, should be foreign to to any uh, fertility specialist out there. And let's just talk again about the the symptoms that might present. So a, a lady can maybe have this conversation with a specialist. I think first of all, um, in the context of IBF, it's it, I think it's certainly very reasonable to bring it up um, when you've had. Uh, two and certainly three or more embryos uh, transferred in on separate occasions um, and you still haven't had a, a, a successful ongoing pregnancy. I think at that point it's very reasonable to bring up the possibility of having a scan to look for adenomyosis and and again I would I would perhaps encourage the fertility specialist to even write on the request form to the radiologist to look for the particular condition. So again five years ago Many radiologists were not even really looking for adenomyosis in the context of infertility. So um, some were, but but certainly not all. And I think that's slowly changing, and certainly more are now. But um, if the fertility specialist writes on the request form um, query adenomyosis, then they certainly would look for it. And there are very clear um, and objective criteria that the radiologist can look for to to determine whether or not the uh, the ultrasound or the MRI is showing this particular condition. Um, outside of IVF, then um, adenomyosis, very similar, again, to endometriosis. So painful periods, um, heavy periods, um, prolonged periods. Um, they're the classic symptoms of, of adenomyosis. And most women that have um, endometriosis, certainly severe endometriosis, um, those that have grade four endometriosis, some research suggests that 80% of those women actually also have adenomyosis. And there have been some very good quality studies that show women that have severe endometriosis, having surgery for those patients actually makes no difference to IVF outcomes. And the reason for that is probably because the surgery that removes the severe endometriosis does not impact at all on the presence of the adenomyosis. So the surgeon is obviously, or the gynecologist is obviously um, going into the pelvis and is removing all the endometriosis 
Um, but again, that adenomyosis is still within the uterine wall and that is not being addressed. And perhaps we think um, why those with uh, very severe or advanced forms of endometriosis do not really benefit um, in terms of pregnancy rates, I must, I must, I must make that clear, in terms of pregnancy rates um, with, with surgery. Certainly their symptoms may improve, um, but if we're looking purely at um, pregnancy rates following IVF, it is not thought that surgery um, helps these women at all. It's really fascinating stuff. So I know that you have published this paper, The Fertility and Sterility. Is that something that's available to the public? Can we, can we put links on the show notes? I mean, our paper was published five years ago in, in human reproduction. So the meta-analyses that was published in recently in, in fertility and sterility, that wasn't, that wasn't published to us. That was a, a paper that looked at 15 different studies on this particular topic. So, But one thing people can do is um, the, the full manuscript's not available unless you're, you have access to a, a university library or something like that. But what um, people can do is that if you go to Google and just put in PubMed, um, and then the first link that comes up will be um, PubMed. So that's a, it's essentially a database of all the, the academic literature in the world, really. And you've, there will be a, a search box there. And if you just put in adenomyosis plus um, fertility or adenomyosis plus um, IVF, you'll be able to see lots of links that shows the title of all the papers that, that have been published. And you can click on those titles and it will show you the abstract. And so you won't get to read all the nitty gritty um, and all the, the statistical analysis, et cetera, et cetera. But certainly you'll be um, able to read what the, the study was, what the study design was, how many people were in the study and uh, the results of the study and the conclusions. So that's certainly available to the public. This meta-analysis uh, should be there as well. And certainly our paper, if someone put in adenomyosis plus my name, for example, that will come up. Well, I'll put that on the show notes anyway. And just finally, Dr. Vamsey, your advice to anybody listening who might now be freaking out a little bit that you might have exactly described them and they, they might feel that they are frustrated that this hasn't been picked mm-hmm. up from their specialist what would you say i think um first of all i really believe in in obviously hope and if what i've talked about today perhaps strikes a chord with what someone is is going through i would say obviously that um, I can understand the frustration, certainly, but it also perhaps gives hope that look, maybe there is a reason why things haven't worked out so far in terms of there is a particular condition that hasn't yet perhaps been picked up. And, and perhaps if it's there, then perhaps we've got a treatment for it. So I would suggest that um, what we've talked about today, hopefully, um, can offer a lot of hope for women who have been going through lots of IVF treatment without success. And again, it's a simple um um, ultrasound, um, or perhaps um, depending on who's able to do the ultrasound or, or an MRI. So it is something that can be picked up. You don't need an operation or anything like that. And if it's present, then again, perhaps there may be a treatment and some success is, is not too far away. Fascinating stuff, Dr. Ramsey. Thank you so much for your time. And we'll see. We'll see if anybody uh, reaches out and says that we uh, we might just have... Uh diagnose them and I'm hoping that people can then take this information to their specialists and it will be you know relatively well received as far as one thing that I always try to state in this podcast is is never be afraid to to ask questions you know I mean we are completely guilty of being Dr Google when we're going through infertility and so uh, you you just want to arm yourself I must say yeah I must say um I think that's a a function of the demographic of people we see um you know we're seeing um men and women that are that are very, um, you know, capable of, of going on the internet and doing their own research. And I, I say to my patients, 
do not feel embarrassed, do not be ashamed or do not apologize for going on Google and reading whatever you want to read, whether it's on the literature, whether it's on um, other patient forums or whatever it might be. Um, but by all means, bring it back and let's have a discussion about it because it's important to me that, um, that um, my patients know what's going on and they understand why I've suggested one thing over another. And if they've read something on a blog or on a forum that um, this patient they read that was on this treatment and what, you know, would it be relevant for me? And I can talk about what that treatment might be and why it's not relevant or why it is relevant. And we can have an open discussion. So I completely agree with you. Um, there is no um, harm and you should not feel embarrassed at all to, to bring up whatever you want with your specialist. It's their job to be able to uh, answer those questions, really. Dr. Vamsey, thank you again for your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Before I give you all the info about the show notes for this episode, here's a quick note from my sponsors who make the Fertility Podcast happen. The Fertility Podcast is supported by Ovusense. If you're trying to monitor your cycle and finding it overwhelming, Ovusense is the only ovulation monitor on the market that is a class two medical device. It has a vaginal sensor and app and it fits like a tampon so it's really easy to use and comfortable to wear. You use it at night whilst you sleep and then in the morning you simply remove wash it and download your data to see your cycle pattern. Now Ovusense has proven comfortable for women in over 10,000 cycles of use and can predict ovulation up to a day in advance and can confirm it with 99% accuracy. To find out more visit ovisense.com. The Fertility Podcast is also supported by IVF Matters, the UK's first online fertility clinic where you can order tests delivered to your door, have scans at multiple locations and speak to consultants in the comfort of your own home. It's a truly unique way to experience your fertility journey and you can find out more at ivfmatters.co.uk. I know how daunting it is finding information about fertility issues. So I wanted to tell you about The Fertility Show. It's on the 4th and 5th of November at London's Olympia and is open to anyone wanting to start or extend their family. Meet experts face-to-face -face at the exhibition or attend one of the brilliant seminars by a leading fertility specialist. Visit thefertilityshow.co.uk for more information. So the show notes for this episode are thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash adeno, A-D-E-N-O. Okay, so go and have a look. Dr. Vamsey has sent some links to those papers that he mentioned. I've also put his Twitter handle on there. And do sign up for the Fertility Podcast whilst you are on the website. You can do it via iTunes where you can write and review. And you can um, put your details in to sign up to my website to sign up to my newsletter so I can keep you up to date and you never miss an episode. I'm talking to you in September 2017. In the UK, we are heading towards National Fertility Awareness Week in November and I'm going to be launching a new website with lots more exciting things as I'm getting near to my 100th episode, the next episode. So it's all um, to celebrate that and to thank you for your support getting me this far. I can't believe that having started in 2014, I'm still going strong in 2017. It's all down to you. Um, listening and coming back and listening and I love hearing from you it makes me so pleased to know that something I might have found out has helped you on your journey do email me any feedback natalie at thefertilitypodcast.com and until the next time 